more combo extra bacon on the side. Welcome to the second episode of the CY3 Livestream Podcast. This one is a little different. We are experimenting with the format here, and I attempted to cut two separate live streams into one episode. So it might sound a bit chopped up, and around the halfway point, we switch subjects. I don't know if this is how we'll do it in the future, because it's much more labor-intensive. But if you hit the branch up on Twitter, that's at IWWYPsilani, with your thoughts, let me know. Without further ado, let's start the show. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome to the CWA3 live stream slash now podcast, um, which will be linked in the comments for those of you who are looking to listen later to our discussions. So today's topic is the future of our restaurants, basically. And while I was writing this, I was, I was using a working title called restaurants that we can retire in because I've been thinking a lot lately uh, about my own retirement or my lack thereof. Um, I'm 45. I've been in the service industry for 30 years almost. I started when I was, well, yeah, I started when I was 15 at um, Skolnick's Bagels in Chicago where I would go before school and bake off bagels and go after school and make sandwiches. Um, and I've done a lot of other things in the industry since. I've worked front of the house and back of the house and cafes and management and everything. And uh, I have nothing to show for it, honestly, um, except a lot of skill. A lot of professional development has been done. But why, I started wondering a long time ago, is it like this for everybody I know in this industry? And like, sure, some of us have made bad choices or whatever, bad choices. But the fact of the matter is like, we all have a long history of being underpaid, of having to pay out of pocket for medical expenses, of not having retirement accounts set up for us. I mean, myself, I was actually doing pretty well. I was paying off my student loans and getting ahead when I broke my leg in 2010 and I wasn't able to work for a year and it ruined my life in so many ways. Um, a lot of people don't really think about our industry as a real job, but a lot of us like it here. And we've talked about this before. We don't want to leave our workplaces. And the things we like about it really outnumber the things that we don't. And so in order to make peace with our industry as a career, lots of workers have come to feel like what they have is good enough. But really, we shouldn't settle. And especially around things like safety and health and basic workplace rights. Turnover rate in restaurants in the United States is almost 75% in 2018, and I'm sure it's even higher since the pandemic. By contrast, in the UK, it was closer to 30%. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but the, in the UK, there's a living wage um, for restaurant workers, there's universal health care, and things that don't make it so that uh, bosses are allowed to treat workers as disposable in the way that they do here. Uh, if you think about it, um, myself, I can't, I honestly, I tried to do this, and I don't think I can remember every restaurant I've ever worked in. And you should ask yourself too, how many restaurants have you worked in in the time that you've worked in the service industry? And now ask yourself, what would it have been like if we didn't have to do that, go from job to job for our entire career looking for good enough, right? 
So the MLRA, the Michigan Lodging and Restaurant Association, is actively pushing against our interests. They're pushing for 100% reopening, even as we hit 500,000 dead in our country, the highest in the world. We know that people are financially insecure right now and that the powers that be um, are and will be continuing to take advantage of that in order to get us back to work at a high risk and to keep us from pushing for fighting for better because we are we're supposed to just be grateful for what we have. Exploitive workplace practices that were in place in the 20th, you know, in the in the labor movements of like the, the 19th and 20th century are not existent today because of the um, in, in industries that that fought for for labor rights. Anti-union rhetoric, at-will employment, and things like that are rampant right now, though, and they're a part of the daily news cycles and conversations that we have. The labor movement made it so that entire industries could retire in their jobs comfortably. They could support a family on a single income. And in order to have the same, we are going to have to fight for it. I mean, this is just as clear as day to me doing this work. We like to think that um, we leave our jobs at work, but we really don't. The cost of workplace stress is drinking, poor sleep hygiene, working second and third jobs, all sorts of things that we've talked about at length. It is a lot of work to get to a union, but in my opinion, it's worth it that we would lose a lot of what steals our time outside of work to build up something better. So today we're gonna to talk about this bigger picture and like what an industry-wide union would do to benefit all of us. But before we get started, uh, let's do a round of intros and say who we are. So, hey there, I'm Gabby, she, her pronouns. I'm an organizer with Service Industry Workers of the Ann Arbor area. I'm a member of the Ypsilanti IWW. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been in the service industry for about 14 years. Uh, I think it'd be cool, actually, if everybody wants to say their first job, which Lisa already did, but um, it's a fun icebreaker. Um, so I, <laughs> my first job was Burger King. Um, and so I, you know, uh, and I also counted how many restaurants I've worked in. It's been seven. Um, but to be fair, I've stayed in a, at certain places for a very long time. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, so Burger King and Taco Bell, uh, which I worked at the same time um, while I was in high school. So um, that was hell. Uh, but um, yeah. And so, yeah, I've been in the industry for about 14 years. Um, I'm an unemployed bartender. You know, once the first shutdown happened, um, I ended up getting laid off. And then, you know, my my uh, my place of work, which is Arbor Brewing Company, ended up getting shut down in June. Um, so, yeah, I've been dedicating pretty much all of my time to uh, organizing work. And, and um, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for that awesome introduction, Lisa. Derek, who are you and what was your first job? My first job ever or my first job in the service industry? Um, Both. So so, uh, my name is Derek. Uh, Hi, everybody. And I am an organizer here with the Ypsilanti Industrial Workers of the World. I've been working with the service industry workers of the Ann Arbor area for um, quite some time now, uh, doing what we can to tap in and talk to workers and see where they are and what they need and helping them to organize where we can. My first job ever was um, working for Ladies Leather and Lace, which sounds more saucy than it is, 
ladies leather and lace. I was like 12 years old and uh, I was walking in parades behind them, picking up after their horses, which are quite messy in parades as it happens. Um, quite literally a shit job. And and those <laughs> those those women were very generous. Each one of them paid that 12-year-old Derek like 20 bucks a piece after that parade. So that was like a lot of money to a 12-year-old. When I was 14 years old, I got my first ever service industry job working as a um, concession concessions guy at like county fairs, working for circus foods, and literally watched my boss choke out a fellow worker um, who he was fed up listening to. Like very, very, very traumatizing to a 14-year-old, actually. Little small guy compared to this massive, fully grown man just choke slamming a fellow worker. That was that was um that was that was a summer there, I'll tell you. I'm not even uh, sorry, I'm really glad that I was muted because I don't think I've laughed that hard in a while. So thank you, Derek, for that. But also I don't know how many restaurant people I know who could tell you that they've witnessed a choke out a good choke out in their kitchen <laughs> it's par for the course part of what we're trying to change to transition into our conversation here is that organizing your workplace is something that you can do for sure and you should be doing in my opinion having a group of workers um, advocating for something together is where your strength lies. But another kind of, and, and there's a lot of different types of workplace unions. And I, you know, we'll do another stream another time talking about that, the, di the differences between the, the types of unions that you can have in your workplace. But a different kind of union is an industry union. And I think we all know about the plumbers because they come to town and spend tons of money on us. And like, I mean, think about the, the trade unions that, that we interact with in the service industry in Ann Arbor. They have huge conventions, come to town, they're happy. They have high levels of camaraderie. They uh, have a lot of money <laughs> and they have paid time off. They have time with their families. They have so many things that we do not have. And we are no less a skilled trade than plumbers and electricians and pipe fitters and, you know, every other trade union. And so I would love it if Derek could take this for a little while and, and kind of talk about the history of labor unions and trade unions and why you think that that would be something that would be helpful in the service industry. Labor Roots 101, history of organizing. Back in the early 1900s, before we had labor laws that governed how you could form a union, um, we were a bunch of workers. We got, we got together and we told the boss, hey, we can't pay to afford our rent. We can't afford groceries. We literally are dying and we're not working until you increase our wages. Um, and they went on strike and workers fed one another. They helped them fix their houses. They supported their families. That's the basis of union organizing. The basic 101 principle in any organizing effort has to be solidarity in your workplace. Um, and frankly, a lot of unions have lost sight of that. So that is what the IWW pushes forward. Hey, you wanna, you want a formal union? You wanna certify your union? Okay, we're on board, we'll help you get there. But the first step in getting there is getting to know your workers, making your fellow workers, making sure that you have each other's backs. 
And when you stand up together, your voice is heard. And we want to organize you industrially, right? We want to organize the restaurant industry in Arbor, in, in, in Ann Arbor, Washtenaw County broadly. We want to organize the front of house workers, the back of house workers, the hosts, the, the baristas. Uh, we want to we want to organize the whole damn thing from start to finish because we want to know that when workers stand up and say we need better pay, we're not waiting for a politician to pass a resolution that says minimum wage is going up. We want the bosses to come to us hands and knees begging us, please go back to work. We need to make money. We'll raise your wages. And that's the power that we need to harness and put forward. And that is what the IWW's basic message is. And that is the history of where we have come from and how we think we should proceed. Amazing, Derek. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. So, Gabby, what would you like to say? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, that's that's the big reason why I joined the IWW and why I, you know, because I see that, you know, worker power is really, you know, um, building that worker power, power and solidarity is is really foundational for, you know, what the IWW stands for. Um, and I was going to say, too, just like, um, you know, my sister works at Kroger um, and has during the entire pandemic. And another example of a union that really isn't doing shit for people is the UFCW, who she is a union member. And, you know, I know there was all this stuff about getting $2 hazard pay and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, the whole time I was just thinking like, why aren't you going, like, why aren't people going on strike? Like strike, you know, strikes were used as such a powerful weapon. I've been learning more, like reading up on, you know, the history of labor too. And strikes were such a powerful weapon back in the day. And it was like, unions were so badass, right? And then everything just really like, it became more and more bureaucratic and it became more and more, you know, less and less about the workers, right? And more about the people who were sort of leading these unions, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, just as a personal example, you know, in my life is a, you know, especially for somebody who works, you know, is working throughout this pandemic in a grocery store. It's like, it's sad and frustrating to see, you know. Um, but yeah, thanks for for that history, um, Derek. I think that was really cool. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, we have a huge potential here. We are working against a lot of kind of preconceptions that workers have internalized in our industry. Um, the idea that we're disposable, I think, being among the, the top things that we're going to have to undo in ourselves. Um, and the, I think that the best way to undo that, that feeling about, you know, your job insecurity or even your personal worth is to know that you all have each other's backs and you're working together. Because, yeah, they can fire one of you, but are they going to fire all of you? No, they probably really aren't because we all know how hard it is to get untrained staff on the floor or in the kitchen and actually uh, doing their job. <laughs> and it so this is a semi transition, I guess, into um, this worker statements. We we have taken for pretty much the entire pandemic a lot of surveys, and we've heard from a lot of workers. And so with this model in mind of this, this solidarity union, whether it be a shop union or whether it be an industry union, I kind of want to look at some of these, these 
conversations we've been having with workers and maybe take apart a little bit what organizing could do to resolve some of these problems. And so um, if Gabby, if you wouldn't mind reading some of these, these statements um, and they're completely edited for anonymity, um, just as in, we keep your confidence at, at utmost importance, but it's also important to share these stories that have been shared with us. And so um, start problem solving, I think, around some of this, rather than just getting bogged down by the overwhelming feeling that, you know, shit's kind of bad right now. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, so um, to answer, you know, sort of the question of like, you know, what are, what are some big issues in our industry and why um, why unions can help resolve some of these issues. Um, I think one of the main sort of, you know, the the, the biggest thing that we've been, you know, um, that we've been talking about and one of the biggest issues that um, workers are dealing with right now has to do with COVID safety and customer engagement around masks and social distancing. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, one of the things that'd be one of the things that, you know, unions would really, you know, we've talked about our platform a little bit already surrounding this, but um, yeah, I'll read some of some of uh, these workers' statements and we can kind of discuss, you know, a little, have a little discussion around them, but, but yeah. Um, so one of them, uh, one worker says, I have underlying health issues and two kids. My ex-husband is immunocompromised and he is my childcare. I have heard absolutely nothing about a plan, protection, or compensation. I'm absolutely terrified. And I believe this was a statement that we collected pretty early on um, in our work. This was, I think, right, potentially right before the initial reopening. Um, and I think this you know, this highlights a lot of people's experience right now. We, we've, we've talked to several workers who are either immunocompromised themselves or caring for people who are immunocompromised or are caring for children. And, um, you know, um, you know, this is a broader issue within our industry of, you know, um, lack of health care as well. You know, so this connects to a lot of issues um, uh, in our industry. But but yeah, you know, this is this is really, you know, this is really sad to hear that people are having to make a choice, right, between um, their lives, their livelihoods and those of their families um, in order to have to come into work, right? And so here's another one that speaks directly to, I think, what I was talking about earlier. Um, a worker says, while my employer is doing as much as he can, customers refusing to mask while not seated is the one issue they don't enforce. Often carry out customers are too close and I must weave between several unmasked people. This makes me feel very unsafe. So, you know, we do spend a lot of time, I think, in these conversations talking about, you know, uh, bad bosses, because uh, like there are a shit ton of bad bosses. Um, and but, you know, I think it's this this statement really highlights something, you know, that like, even if, you know, especially considering uh, COVID and safety protocols and everything, even if your boss, even if you feel like your boss is doing everything they can to ensure your safety, which like really that probably actually means not opening indoor dining. But if if you are open for indoor dining and you feel like your boss is doing everything they can, um, I mean, the biggest thing beyond that is is, is like, it's not even necessarily bosses, but it's it's the general public too, right? You know, um, even if our bosses do everything they can, you know, the fact of the matter is, is 
customers right now are not following safety protocols. Um, it's just like that meme I brought up earlier. You know, they're demanding to go to brunch, but they don't give a shit about workers. And that's wrong, right? Eating inside a restaurant is... <laughs> pretty much the only situation where people are for some reason allowed to just sit without masks on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I can't even, you can't even go to the doctor and take your mask off unless they're doing like dental work or something like that. And they're wearing visors and like, you know, but for some reason, just so people can go out to lunch, we're allowed to be in these, you know, this situation there, there's no buying politicians in this circumstance there's no like we uh, do not have the power to to get them to change the this policy we we're going to keep trying but the thing that where the power lies is if you're not feeling safe at work and you and all of your coworkers are you know not feeling safe at work you have the power to approach your boss and say hey boss we're not working until you make people put a mask on their face. Mm -hmm. It is not safe. Mm -hmm. Give us PPE, give us hazard pay. That is where the power lies. At the end of the day, I know several people, I know several restaurants right now that have quote unquote good bosses. And, you know, I get it. Some people like their bosses. There are some owners that are, that are okay. Um, but, but, but at the end of the thing, thank you for the eye movement, Gabby, I think, you know, spot on, but, but, you know, but, 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 the, but some people feel okay about their, about their employers Some people feel okay about their immediate managers. Um, I, I do. I'm one of those people just for the record. I have a lot of respect for the owner of the Fleetwood Diner personally, but that doesn't you know, change the fact that our power dynamic is skewed in his favor. In his to, favor. Yeah. At any point, right? At any point, your boss, good or otherwise, could say, "Listen, I need, I, I need you to let. I, I, we're going to start letting fifty percent of people in." But, boss man, this is like, this is, uh, this is, this is beyond the COVID restrictions. Um, it's only twenty five percent right now. Well, we're going to close otherwise, and uh, we're going to do it. If you don't like it, you know, go complain to somebody who cares. And, and well, who's listening? Who cares right now? And the answer is, from what we can tell. Not a whole hell of a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that, Derek. Ooh, sorry, a little hot under the collar when I think about these about these <laughs> bullshit COVID violations and you workers too. and workers and workers putting their putting their lives at risk to make someone a few extra bucks. Yeah, there's this other statement, and I, I'd like to relate something personal about this. I think we've all kind of felt some level of this. Um, this worker says one of the many instances was when my father was dying and I was not allowed to have someone cover for me or leave. I was talked down to and told that it must not be true, but that if I left, I'd be unemployed. After a short period of time, a manager returned and said I could go, but that I owed him and I would be making up for it. Um, this is so fucked up, uh, you know, but, um, you know, I, it made me think of, you know, um, uh, and like, frankly, like it wasn't even, I'll get into it, but um, so I had, you know, a grandmother who was very ill and who was dying and, um, and, you know, I got a call about it at work and, um, you know, and granted, I didn't receive any, you know, um, any resistance from my employer, from my managers, from my coworkers, but I felt guilty, you know, I felt guilty leaving um, because, even on other days, you know, where, you know, something wasn't, you know, a huge emergency in the way that it was that day, you know, there were days where I'm having a bad mental health day, or, you know, I'm genuinely sick, right, you know, like, and, 
feeling guilty and being told like, you know, I remember feeling really, really sick one day and, and, and like having chest pains and like, was like severely dehydrated. It was like all this fucked up shit that happened, but I called my, my employer and I was just like, I was talking to my manager and I was like, you know, I'm really sick. I was like, I think I have to go to the hospital and being told like, oh, well, we don't have anybody to cover your shift tonight. You know, we'll cut you first if you come in. And of course I didn't get cut first. Uh, but you know, um, like this is something we deal with all the time. And, and like, you know, it, it, for me, my, that experience shifted even more as a bartender because they don't want to train too many bartenders. Right. And you are expected to come into your shift, right. No matter what, um, and how hard it was in times when I did need my shift covered and the level of guilt that was played upon me. And, and in addition to these experiences, um, you know, I, I lived close to where I worked for a while. And I remember, you know, um, all like almost every single day off getting a text from my boss saying, Hey, we're under schedule. We need you to come in. And like, it was a text. It at first actually it was a phone call so that I would feel obligated to answer. And then there was a manipulation, right. Where it's like, can you come in? And just being, feeling that immense pressure of like, I guess I have to, you know, um, even though it's my fucking day off, you know, um, these things are all so much related. It's like, well, what would be the way to solve this issue is you need to have more people trained. You need to hire more people, right? This immense amount of pressure that are put on, that's put on workers to be on call, right? Lisa brought this up earlier. We don't actually leave, right? We're we're constantly on, right? Whether we realize it or not. And and these manipulation techniques by our bosses in order to make us feel guilty. I mean, this is this is bullshit. Nobody should have to do this. Nobody in any other industry, I don't think, has to deal with this the way that service workers do. And that's just not fucking fair to people. You know, we have probably, lives. Right probably not the way that probably not the way that you folks have to deal with it, but. But, you know, there, there, I remember there's a story from like 2010, I want to say, might be 2006, of an Amazon worker who, um, uh, you know, one of not, not like a warehouse worker, um, where you might think this appears because who gives a fuck about warehouse workers? The answer is we should all care about them because they're literally providing like half of the product in America right now, if not more. Uh, but this is like a white collar professional um, she got, she got breast cancer. There was, there was like a, there was an expose about this. She got, she got breast cancer and, and Amazon basically, you know, basically told her, um, I can't remember the story now. I brought it up and I'm trying to remember the entire story, but, but Amazon basically said, you know, we're like, if, if you take time off, we're going to fire you. If you, if you take time off, you're not, you're not going to have a job anymore. Um, and, and this is despite the fact that the FMLA almost certainly, I mean, definitely applies the family medical leave act definitely applies to Amazon, which employs a ton of people. Uh, and, and, and they would have gotten away with this because, you know, workers and people in general, like, like we look at the law sometimes and we think this can't be legal, but guess what? It, sometimes it is legal. For her case, it probably absolutely wasn't. And Amazon still didn't give a shit. But like, like workers who were like, it's my day off. I don't have to go to work. Actually, you probably do. 
Actually, there is nothing in Michigan state labor law or the Federal Standards and Labor Act which says that you don't have to be worked to death. There are no upper limits for the vast majority of workers. If you're a truck driver, there are legal limits. But if you're an on-the-ground restaurant worker, in theory, although I don't know of any places where this happens commonly, but in theory, they could make you work 24 hours a day. There's no law that says you have to sleep. There's no law that says your boss can't fire you if you refuse to cover a shift that they don't have coverage for. There is zero law on Michigan's books that says you cannot be fired for that. No law at all. Um, the only thing that is preventing that from happening is, is some level of humanity in our employers that make them realize sometimes that they're maybe pushing things a little hard. But as Gabby just highlighted, if push comes to shove, they're going to push beyond that moral that moral necessity to protect people and say, you got to come in. Sorry, you got to go to the hospital, but you got to come in. How many service workers have I heard stories from that have talked about how they had second degree burns and their employer didn't file a, a worker comp report, didn't send them to the hospital, um, didn't even let them leave shift. I mean, this is outrageous behavior. And some of these things might be the exception in some cases. And a lot of us feel like this sense of, okay, yeah, um, sometimes I'm gonna work a 16 hour shift. Why? Why should you ever have to work? a 16 hour shift if you don't want to. And the thing is, is, your boss can make you. If your boss goes through a list and everyone says no, and they pick you and they come back and say, listen, you have to come in. If you don't come in, you're not gonna have a job tomorrow. Nothing in Michigan state law that I'm aware of, and I am not a lawyer, just to be clear. I'm just a person who organizes uh, and, and has and all of my experience and knowledge comes from that organizing experience. Um, to my knowledge, there's nothing in Michigan state law that says if you refuse to cover a shift that your boss can't find coverage for, that they cannot terminate you for that. There's no law I'm aware of that says that. Um, so these are things These are things to be aware of. The law is not going to come in and save you. You are literally being saved right now by the grace of a boss who might feel too bad to make you come in. But if they decide that they don't want to cover that shift or they have to have you there, uh, by diggity, by diggity, whatever, by diggity, they can call you in. Yeah, no matter what else is going on, if they didn't have us doing our job on point and for for what? For, for no health care, for no paid sick time, for working every single holiday, working 10, 12, 14, 16-hour shifts on our feet, no breaks. I mean... It's really not too much to ask that we be treated with basic human dignity, but apparently it is. So that's why we have to fight for it. At the end of the day, whether, whether you like it or not, uh, and some people like it and some people don't, we, we live in capitalism, right? We have to make money to survive. Um, we have to survive in this environment, in these material conditions, if you don't have money, you can't rent, you can't own, you can't get a car, you can't ride the bus, um, unless you live in one of those nice places that actually public transportation is free, but that is not the case in most of America, right? So, so working is not an option for most, for most people. Um, and I think exactly what I think Gabby highlighted and exactly what Lisa highlighted. One, 
this is a structure that is given like such independence, like each restaurant is its own, is its own little place. Right. And, and this owner's attitudes and this owner's personality really kind of shows through and it's got its own special menu, but, but that is a structure that we are a part of and, and we have voices and we have power. The default position in any given restaurant or grocery store or retail establishment is that management and owners hold all the cards because the workers are not organized and they are not making their demands clear. We go out and on our smoke breaks or go out with drinks for friends to bitch about work, um, but, but we aren't fixing those problems. Um, and, and we can, we can fix those problems. And that's, that's such an important message for us to remember because just as Lisa said, we make those places work. We make those places function. We serve the food. We cook the food. We learn the regulars. We learn the recipes. Um, we learn all the things that go into making those places run smoothly. And sometimes we get shown that appreciation. Uh, and oftentimes we are underappreciated. And the bottom line is that a lot of workers break their bodies doing this for years without access to health care, without access to reasonable um, hours, to without access to, to just basic support structures uh, that make this career viable as a form of living. And it wouldn't be that hard for us to make that happen. It wouldn't be that hard for us to get together and just tell the boss collectively, this is what we need. There is, there is power wherever we find people congregating and there is power in a union. Um, and a union here doesn't mean like a formal institution, though again, if you want a formal institution, let's make it happen. But a union is just what it says, a group of people together as a group making their demands known. That by itself is an expression of power. Um, and if you wanna formalize it and you wanna take a union vote and you wanna write a contract, that is just a further expression of that power. But the base expression of power here is coming together and saying, we need better pay. We need better working conditions. We need access to healthcare. You're gonna have to give us stable hours. You're gonna have to give us reasonable hours. Um, you have to respect my days off. We can make those demands together. And, and I just wanna reemphasize, come out. Come on out to a CWA 3 meeting. Let us know what you need. Let us know what your issues are. We're not going to come into your workplace with banners demanding a strike, which, which you know, Lisa said earlier, we're not going to demand that you strike. Striking is an escalation tactic. It is the end of the boss refusing your demands. Step one is getting your workers, your coworkers together and sitting down and talking to your boss like reasonable humans. And if your boss does the reasonable moral thing and says, yeah, you know what? we are underpaying you, or geez, the schedule is way out of whack. Let's stabilize that for all of you, right? Then, it's, then you're done. And you just had a major successful win for you and your workers as an expression of your power. And if the boss says no, and they dig their heels in, we'll be there at your backs as often as you need us to make your demands known, 
and to make sure those demands are met. So come on out. Kind of quick content warning. We'll be discussing all the stuff that we've discussed before, racism, sexual harassment, assault. But we're also, since talking about since we're talking about mental health, we'll be talking about things like drug addiction and recovery and, and things like that. So um, take care of yourself. Hi, my name is Kim. Um, I've been working with CUA3 for quite a few months now. Um, I have been in the service industry for over getting close to 25 years. Started as a teenager um, and I've been working in the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area for over two decades. Um, I've been working in downtown Ann Arbor uh, at the same place for about four years and have been working through the pandemic. Um, and I knew I was kind of getting to the, the place where I was gonna have to make a decision about staying in this industry or not. And so this has given me an opportunity to stay in the industry and try to help the next generation uh, of workers and workers that are in, uh, in restaurants right now. When we talk about mental health in the service industry, I think a lot of people think about Anthony Bourdain. Um, and it's kind of cool. He's given some credibility to this real issue that we never really talked about before. And I think that it's really, excuse me, time that we stop ignoring it and start talking about it more. Um, I want to read two quotes that I found by him really quick that kind of sums up the feeling to me of working in a kitchen. Uh, I've worked in kitchens and waitress all across the country, and there are really some things that are just universally true. Um, some of them are good, some of them not. And there, uh, yeah, some stuff we really have to change. So the first, he says, in America, the professional kitchen is the last refuge of the misfit. It's a place for people with bad pasts to find a new family. And I know that's true for me. Um, and I know that's true for a lot of people who I've worked with in this industry. Um, the second, he says, if you're easily offended by direct aspirations on your lineage, the circumstances of your birth, your sexuality, your appearance, the mention of your parents possibly commingling with livestock, then the world of professional cooking is not for you. And I think that that <clears throat> is true. And that's, that's kind of uh, part of the culture that we need to talk more about. So now we're going to talk about mental health. And so I wanted to start out and talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's a lot that, that I really do love about this industry. I've said it uh, a lot and I'll keep saying it. I love being a line cook. I'm really good at it. It's fun. You know, sometimes it really sucks, but I, you know, it's the kind of work that I actually really enjoy, but working in kitchens sucks. And, uh, you know, especially as a woman in kitchens, um, I have experienced a lot of things that just wouldn't uh, fly in other workplaces for really good reason. Um, and we have talked about the problems in the industry on you know, quite a few live streams now. Um, so we're gonna talk today about what, what is the expense of all of the problems that we've been discussing. Um, 
It turns out that things like not making enough money and also having to deal with racism and sexual harassment and sometimes assault and, um, all, you know, all the things that we deal with, it's uh, in a place where your power dynamic is such that if you say anything, you lose your job. It kind of is not very good for your mental health. <laughs> so uh, the, we need to talk about this stuff more. And so that's why we're here today. Um, the reason this industry can beat us down like it does is because we've uh, kind of just all accepted that this is normal. And we almost wear it like it's a badge of honor, like the shitty things that happen to us. Like we were just even before this live stream talking about, you know, wild times in the service industry. And it's like, if you really listen to yourselves, that shit's fucked up. So many of us were dealing with mental health and addiction issues when we got into the service industry. Um, it's pretty easy to get into as a low paying you know, high workload employee without a lot of experience. And <clears throat> you come in and you work really hard, but you're rarely actually shown any meaningful respect for your hard work. You're rarely paid enough money to live well, unless you work a lot of overtime or two jobs or three jobs. And what you do get is a shift beer. <laughs> so when I talk about work stuff to people who haven't worked in this industry, I just, I love watching their faces and, you know, they're just, I mean, sometimes they just don't believe me at all. But I think like, I mean, I think they believe my Fleetwood stories because everybody has uh, been at the Fleetwood and knows that shit's wild. But um, things like not being allowed to drink water or go to the bathroom to the point where like every server I know has just had UTIs all the time, like it's normal. Um, or the way that cooks talk to us and managers ignore it. And uh, if you don't know all this, then you should really just consider yourself incredibly fortunate. So I'm gonna stop rambling right now and I'm gonna ask some of these folks on the panel to talk about like kind of like kind of some of the stuff we've learned in doing research on this topic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, looking at some of the stati statistics regarding, you know, um, mental health issues and, and substance abuse issues in the service industry, um, there definitely is statistically a, a very high number of people in our industry with mental health concerns. Um, uh, I guess in 2017, this nonprofit, uh, Mental Health America, released a two-year study concluding that the environment in the food and beverage industry correlated with a high level of mental health issues. Um, they ended up surveying more than 17,000 employees in 19 different industries, and the food and beverage industry was one of the three worst to work in, along with retail and manufacturing. And anyone who's ever had to juggle a six-table section can probably guess the contributing factors, as Lisa mentioned, uh, listed in the report, right? So stress, low wages, long hours, job insecurity, a lack of trust for coworkers, particularly managers, substance abuse. Um, I think, you know, in addition to this, uh, you know, I looked at a study recently um, that uh, one in four uh, service workers do not have health care. Um, I think that's probably even shifted to even more this year when people have lost their jobs or they've been laid off, right? Um, uh, or they just lost health insurance because their workplaces or their employers, you know, claim that they can't 
you know, pay for uh, health insurance right now. Um, and I know for me personally, you know, this was a huge contributing factor to like sort of coping with some of my mental health issues, not finding someone, you know, trying to find somebody that I could afford, right, especially without health insurance. Um, and even if you do have health insurance, right, it doesn't mean that it covers most of the time it doesn't cover um, mental health services. So I think all these things sort of contribute to that. Um, and according to the National Institute of Mental Health, um, service workers, particularly the nearly 10 million who work within the hospitality and restaurant industry, are more susceptible to, to developing and succumbing to mental illness than workers in non-tipped salaried industries. This is definitely not a surprise. Um, this group is also more likely to self-report illicit drug use and has the highest rates of substance abuse disorder than any other sector. Um, you know, Lisa mentioned earlier, you know, uh, our, our employers sort of placate us with our shift beers, right? Um, I can't tell you the number of people that I've known personally who struggled um, with alcohol, you know, like getting off their shift and have all their co-workers you know, sitting at the bar drinking and, and, and just how difficult it is to, you know, sort of work on yourself when you're constantly surrounded um, and, and, and basically told this is your treat, right? We're well, and you hard. have to drink it to serve it. Like you have to right. taste all the cocktails and be able to like, you know, most places now they like make you take tests about the cocktails and, mm -hmm. and yeah, uh, exactly. really hard to not drink in a culture that uh, makes its money from alcohol. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Lisa. Yeah, you know, um, I know one of my recent employers, the big thing was beer shots, right? We're just sampling the beers, you know, it was almost kind of a, an ongoing joke that we were, <laughs> we're sampling the beers, but you know, we were, we were doing a little more than sampling, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, we laugh about it, but it's a real thing. And it's like, it's, it's a struggle, right? Especially if you're, you're struggling with mental health and, and, and struggling with alcohol or any drugs, right? Cause we know, I mean, like, you know, um, psychologists today, they know very much the link between, you know, um, mental health and substance abuse, right? You know, like um, substance abuse doesn't kind of, you know, uh, as many times in the past, they thought that it kind of just you know, comes along based on, you know, I think there are certainly some genetic factors perhaps that go along with it, but like, um, they're noticing a much stronger link between, you know, trauma and mental health issues and substance use and abuse. Right. So, um, it really makes a lot of sense. And, and our industry just makes it super difficult to, you know, to, to cope with these kinds of things when we're expected to, you know, take part in these activities. Right. So, yeah. Um, so while the factors leading to these disparities are not entirely clear, the odd hours, unpredictable scheduling, low wages, lack of full benefits, as I mentioned, a high turnover rates and the requirement to constantly be on at work um, may all play a role. Um, I think we all kind of can see this, you know, working in this industry. I mean, they've done like actual studies about like the emotional labor that people in the service industry, I mean, that's like basically where that whole concept comes from is from, you know, flight attendants and, you know, people who spend their entire, you know, entire day giving and putting on, you know, or giving. pretending to be somebody else, right? Yeah. That you spend half of your day or more than half of your day to pretending to be someone you're not. And it takes a toll on you. 
you know, you go to work and you, and you have all this stuff going on in your own life yet, you know, you always got to have a smile on your face and you're talking to people that normally maybe wouldn't have a conversation with, but that's part of the tip wage is making connections with customers so that you can make more money. So, you know, I, I always feel like once I'm done with a shift, I kind of need like a few minutes to just kind of be myself again. Um, I have a, a daughter who's going on six who who wants to chat with me the second I get in the car and I love her more than anything in the world, but it's like going from that server Kim to like who I really am, mom, wife is it, it you know, you need a few minutes. It's uh, it really, you really are trying to be a different person, you know, yeah. and that's really taxing on your mental health. Yeah. And it goes with like, you know, the sexual harassment too, right. As, as women in the industry, putting that smile on your face when someone says something to you, that's extremely inappropriate or tries to touch you. Or, you know, we've, we've talked about the one fair wage study during COVID where women are being asked to remove their masks. So men know how much to tip them, um, which they now call masculine harassment. Um, oh my God. Well, yeah, there's I'm like even a, a word for it now, right? A phrase for it now. So, I mean, in those situations, um, that can really deteriorate your mental health when you're constantly being treated like a piece of meat, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't do anything about it because you're either going to lose your tip or, um, you know, your manager is going to you know, you have to be nice all the time, right? So you have to just kind of like suck it up and take it. Like the bottom line is you have to bottle a lot of your feelings up and just kind of be like, you know what, it's fine. And that's one of the main problems that I find. And it's not just the service industry though. I'm certain that it's very heavy in the service industry because you you get it both from bosses and from customers, right? But even like in like office jobs, for example, um, we, we have, we wake up every day, we go into work and we kind of deal with this structure, which tells us you're replaceable. You're, you're not really that important to the company. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're one face amongst, amongst many, and you just have to deal with what we put on the table, what we give you to deal with. And so we are up in this place where it's like, well, we're the problem. Like I, I have to figure out how to do self-care, um, because because my structure isn't changing and they're not open to changing. So I'm the I'm the broken part and I have to fix it. And that stress alone um, means that we always have to adapt to the bosses and they never and, and 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 the customers and they never have to adapt to us or give us the respect that we basically need to be healthy people. So uh, the next section is kind of like, so I, I'm sure people will listen to this on its podcast form or might be watching this live stream who don't actually work in the industry or don't have these experiences. So this is the part that's going to be kind of like a drag. I kind of want to like talk about some of the really specific things that affect our mental health in this industry so that um, I, I think my, my intent with this is to like normalize talking about this stuff. And this is like, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our experiences and we'll be, you know, talking about some, some heavy shit that happens in restaurants, but until we're like, accept that this isn't normal, like, you know, and that we can't like talking about it makes it sound as like fucked up as it actually is. Um, 
we have to keep talking about it. So this is where those content warnings will probably be important. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Um, and I think we've touched a little bit on, you know, uh, the sort of um, the need to, you know, um, kind of uh, put on a, you know, I don't want to say a front, but, you know, change ourselves, right, to change our personalities to, you know, um, to appease customers and to uh, appease our bosses, right, and as as uh, Kim and Lisa, I think everybody thus far, um, it, as they've said, you know, that really takes a toll on you. It's very exhausting, right? At the end of the night, you know, at the end of a shift, I just literally want to sit in silence, uh, right? I know Kip was talking about her experience with her daughter, but like, it's, it's, it is so exhausting mentally, I think. And, and I think, you know, as I've already mentioned too, you know, um, being surrounded by alcohol and by drugs, you know, um, and, you know, cocaine is really big in the, in the service industry and, and, you know, pills and, and whatever. And, and it's, it's really hard when you're, you know, um, it's like a constant cycle, right? You know, you, you, you're at work. It's horrible. It's utter hell. We have certain nights, especially that are awful. And we want to go out afterward and we want to bond with our, you know, fellow service workers. And often that does involve drugs and alcohol, right? And then that kind of perpetuates the cycle of, you know, going to work the next day and it's horrible again, you know, and, and so I think we're all very used to. And it's horrible and you're hungover. So um, double horrible. Oh, yes. So then you got to drink on the job to get through the week. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, but this is like super common, right? Um, and and I think you know uh, something Lisa touched on too. Um, you know, we do kind of as service workers, we ha have this like you know we use our we wear our trauma like a badge, and we we kind of almost brag about it, and we and, and it's something that shows how tough we are, right? Um, that's something that that service workers really like you know put out there is that we're really tough. This stuff sucks, but you know what? We stick through it. We get the tips, and we're you know we're busting ass, and and that's we hustle, right? We hustle, 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 um, and that's sort of the the culture that surrounds our industry right um and and you know it, it gets to a point you know in one of my last jobs you know just like um like if I have something going on mentally like I'm so afraid to like to show it or or to tell anybody what's going on with me because I don't want to seem like I'm complaining right or I don't want to seem like I can't do my job right um and and it's it's really a struggle because you know you're putting you're trying to put up this front like you're tough like you're you know like you can push through anything you got to hustle but like you know um deep down we all have if it's not our own jobs we all have personal lives and our own mental health issues right and 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 by putting up this tough exterior constantly on top of this other exterior that 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 you know is the service worker personality it's it is so taxing it's it's so taxing and 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 you know there's so much you know th this level of competition that exists sometimes within the industry too right you know i i learned uh, I learned exactly what that competition started looking like, not just as a server, but as a bartender. Oh my gosh, there's so much status with being a bartender. Um, and oh, it's totally hilarious it, and slash absurd. Like, yeah, it's it's like there's so much status surrounding these positions, and and 
And there's so much competition and, and, and eat with these people that you, you know, bonded with. And it just feels, it just feels like, you know, I don't know, it really, it's, it makes you feel very isolated sometimes as much as you do have these bonds with people. And I think, you know, what Derek was touching on earlier too, and really everybody is, is, is like this sort of level of individualism that arises uh, as far as how we're coping with our our situation at work, right? All these fucked up things that are going on, it's just part of the situation. This is part of the fatalism we've talked about in previous you know, live streams. This is just how it is. This is just our industry. And we just need to toughen up or we just need to you know, do self-care. We just need to, on an individual basis, you know, make changes to ourselves to fit into the system. But in reality, uh, you know, taking a step back and thinking about things and, and, and um, banding together with our fellow workers, I think shows us that it's not us, right. That should be sort of molding ourselves to fit into this, you know, inherently corrupt and damaging system, right. It, it should be the system <laughs> that changes, you know, for us you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like this in other countries. <laughs> it's not like know. this in other industries. Like, you know, do you like do bankers? I mean, they might go out for a drink after work, but like, do they like get out of work at two o'clock in the morning and snort a bunch of lines and drink a bunch of alcohol and, you know, they don't go to bed, go to go to bed until eight o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's, it's like isolating in itself, right? When you, yeah, when you work in an schedule. industry, where you're on a the different schedule than everybody else than so, everybody else yeah yeah you like you're almost living this different life right you like miss your everything. life is the nighttime mm-hmm. while everybody else is asleep so it's even more isolating it is cuz you don't get to go to the shows with your friends and you don't get to like uh, do normal you know, things right do the things that people with like normal working hour jobs get to do holidays like with their families you know for instance which yeah. you know and uh and for what? And, you know, like it's, I, I get to a point, you know, after doing this for so long, it's like, you have to ask yourself, you know, is it actually worth all the things that you miss? Like what, what do I have with like the tips that I made or what, you know, I mean, yeah, I have some cool shit. I want some great adventures in my life, you know, like, but the things, you know, the real connections with like people are something that I feel very deeply missing you know mm-hmm. and it's harder I'm not even gonna lie after you quit drinking in this industry then you're just alone like yeah. Yeah, I know. you know especially <laughs> in that first part where you can't go out for drinks with people because you want to drink and it's like oh you know you just have to like then you're isolated from everybody so yeah you just, yeah, you know, know, that's a lot of people relapse because it just gets you back. It connects you back to people. Well, like you were saying too, about that, about that unhealthy, uh, the unhealthy culture of like um, bringing someone in who's just come out of rehab or just in, in recovery and, you know, making them feel like, like the bosses are doing them a favor. Right. Oh, yeah. So then that's an unhealthy to relationship too. It goes back to another thing that we've all talked about quite a bit is that this industry treats you like you're disposable. You're a disposable human being, right? Like you're always replaceable, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard, how good you are at your job, the boss can always find someone else. Right. So being told that, or 
made feel like that over and over and over also is really taxing on your mental health. Yeah, it really is. Like there's a real feeling of instability in the industry that comes from like both the precariousness of your job all the time as your boss is like constantly reminding you that like, you know, your performance gets you the better shifts or, um, but you know, it's not your performance, you know, it's like how well you're playing the whatever game at whatever restaurant it is that like gets you better shifts or, you know, days off that you've requested actually off or, you know, um, not asked to do bullshit work, like, you know, (laughs) but also just like the tips, like just the tip cycles leads to like a financial instability throughout like the, the cycles of the year and stuff too, that like is, has for me, financial insecurity, like due to a lifetime cycle of like poverty and homelessness is one of my biggest triggers for like bad mental health time is like when I feel like I might actually like not have a place to live or be secure in that it fucking spins me. And I know that that's true for a lot of people, but like you kind of like desensitize to it when you're in the industry and adapt a little bit, but like, it's just there. It's like, it's always an underlying kind of like, okay, what if I don't actually make like $75 tomorrow, there's going to be a snowstorm. And if I don't have $75, I can't pay my rent. And it takes a toll on your physical health, which affects your overall well being. Like, there's not a single fucking waitress that I know who has good knees. Like, not one person do I know can still, like, not, you know, who's done it for more than like 10 years, their knees don't pop. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, you know, just always like being tired and always being a little bit in pain or like always having an injury or all, you know, like when we get bar flu or whatever, you know, like literally everybody's sick with the same sickness at work because we go to work sick because you have to go to work sick. Um, And yeah, that stuff wears you down too. I think every, every time I've ever switched a job and went to a new place for the first two months, I was sick. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, the new germs. Yeah, you got to get used to the new (laughs) ecosystem. (laughs) Yeah, you got to get used to all the new germs. And then, you know, how many times, and we've all had it happen, how many times have a customer asked you, oh, so what's your real job? Yes. I mean, that's what I was talking about before. It's like that internalized classism where I just have always been like, really like disappointed with myself that this was still my life. While I'm, you know, making a fairly decent living and, you know, mostly enjoying my job, despite this entire conversation, you know, I've, I've really have enjoyed my, my jobs most of the time. Um, I mean, most of us that's made this a career wouldn't have done it if we didn't enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like customer interactions for me in places like diners, or coffee shops are really fulfilling. Like I love those like kind of really informal, I I talk to, I mean, I, in that setting where I am doing a job, I'm very comfortable talking to people I wouldn't otherwise be. And so it's like, it's fun. I talk to, you know, people with all sorts of experiences and I learn a lot about the world outside of, you know, Ann Arbor, especially like, you know, the Fleetwood is a place people come from all over to drop into that little trailer and they're usually pretty interesting so um musicians playing at like local shows and you know I met a lot of really cool people at work um and it's just I mean the the work itself is fun 
Well, I know a worker, I know a worker in the social service industry that um, they started having weekly venting sessions, right? Where they just started inviting some of their coworkers out to a Zoom session or through whatever format. I, I actually don't know what format they did, but it was a, a virtual format like this, where they just invited people out to to come out and talk about what happened at work in the last week. Like, how did it go? What, like, like what happened? How are you doing? Uh, and those check-ins like have really helped build a sense of camaraderie amongst um, his fellow workers, uh, but also given, given him the basis to do a little bit of organizing. Um, I know other workers who have, who have built up like weekly streaming sessions, uh, legality to be determined. I am not a lawyer, but you know, like they, like they get together and they stream movies with each other. Um, just, and then, and then spend a little bit either before or after the movie and just catch up to see how things are going. Um, you know, we, it is hard. Um, I, I tend towards extroversion myself and like talking to people over Zoom just doesn't give me that, just, just doesn't itch things the way that I want it to um, in certain situations, but I can still see people and talk to people and hear how they're doing. And that's, and that's, a, that's a really important um, part, of, part of how we organize and how we make ourselves stronger in our workplace. But, but here's the thing, right? People, you know, we can do this. We people are talking over Zoom and they are enjoying, you know, movie nights and happy hours and yada yada yada. I mean, there is no reason why, you know, um, uh, people can't, you know, sort of, you know, coworkers can't get together and and talk about what's going on at work, right? And especially, I would imagine now that everybody is doing dining again, you just are gonna like need those connections with your coworkers because I just. Like, I really have so much privilege that I am able to not be uh, working right now because of my chronic illnesses. Like, I, it's very dangerous for me. Um, and uh, I just, it, it sounds so, so scary. It might feel a little, you know, weird and scary and like naughty to like get together with people and talk about these things. But this is stuff we do anyway, right? This is what we've mentioned multiple times in this conversation. We already have these conversations, even if they're 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 you know um, leaning over the drink station and and you know bitching about something or sitting down at a bar and but you know uh you know we already do these things and and um what you're doing is is not wrong and you certainly can't be fired for it legally right uh this is um protected concerted activity right if you're just getting together with your coworkers and talking about what's going on at work um you're protected right um and and you know uh the big thing I think that Lisa mentioned is we do put a lot of energy into talking about what's going on in our workplaces and what's wrong, but we need to take that next step, right? And it's it's scary and it's it's like kind of like jumping in a an ice cold, you know, uh lake. Uh, you know, it feels really like, you know, uh a sh like it's the idea of moving beyond, you know, these conversations feels kind of shocking and frightening, but uh, that it's happened before, right? It's happening right now all across the country, including in the service industry, right? People are, are going beyond just having conversations and taking action. And, and, and people in our industry have done this for a very, very long time and, and have made serious and necessary changes to their workplaces. There's no reason for service workers to feel like they can't 
change the way things are just because they've been this way for so long. Um, uh, we don't need to get caught into this fatalist, you know, sort of uh, mindset. Uh, there are so many things we can do if we work together with our fellow workers and 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 take the next step, right? And we can help you do that. I kind of want to leave it like, aside from like what we're talking about, like organizing, which is, you know, obviously what we're always going to push for, because we really think that this is like, the way that you are most effectively going to get like, um, some sort of autonomy and like actual respect in your workplace and, and change things for the better. Um, there's other stuff that is important. Um, something I've noticed with talking with workers lately is that people are really unaware of their rights. Um, and as far as taking care of themselves physically, like, you know, going to the bathroom and drinking water and stuff like, um, but also in terms of, are you getting paid enough? Like if you're not making an average of 9.45 an hour right now and your business, like you're working these slow shifts, your boss is legally obligated to pay you 9.45 an hour or they will lose their tip credit. They will not be able to pay people a tipped wage at all anymore. So make sure that like, you know, on these slow days when, you know, tips are really crappy that like you're actually getting paid for your time being there. Um, you know, and, you know, if you've got concerns, if you've got, like, if you're not even sure if something's legal or not, like, definitely reach out and we'll do our best to help you. None of us are lawyers, but we talk about this stuff a lot. It's not good for you and it's not good for your business and it's not good for your customers and it's not good for like the whole cycle to be burning out like this our mental health problems affect the entire industry um just i i just think about like if we all felt like supported and were able to have like healthy workplaces how cool it would be to work in this industry. And I think about like Ann Arbor in the nineties was like, this was like a pretty cool place to work. There were a lot of really cool restaurants. Like that's when I got into the Fleetwood and I have, you know, plenty of problems with like things that have happened there. But one of the things that is great is that I do have respect for my boss for the most part and autonomy and the, the trust he has in me to like make decisions and calls with customers. And I think about all the places where I've worked, where I haven't had that, where I've had a manager who took a role, you know, like a, a, they didn't know the customer or the situation and they still were able to like make the decision about how things went down and stuff and how um, unempowering that felt, but it doesn't have to be that way. You should be able to say, Hey bro, put on a mask or walk out the door and your boss should not fire you or get mad at you about that or like give you the shitty shifts because you're being pain or like whatever. Like the fact that you just don't want to die in a pandemic so that this frat boy can come drink a beer like is like the bare minimum that you should be granted. So the bare minimum. Yeah. yeah. So anybody have parting words, like any kind of words of wisdom that you want to leave on this topic? I like that we're leaving on like a little bit of a positive note um, instead of just like doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to get uh, locked into the doom and gloom, especially with everything that's going on in the world, right? But, um, but you know, uh, I think the best thing to keep in mind is that you're not alone in all of this. Um, it might feel like things, uh, you know, by the way things have been going, you know, that uh, you feel isolated from your coworkers, you feel isolated from your work, you feel alienated from your work. 
Um, you, you may feel like you're, you know, you're taking on too much and you're putting up with too much and, and you are, um, but, uh, you're not alone. Uh, there are many, many people, um, in your position right now, um, who are experiencing the same exact things that you are, believe me, we're talking with workers and they're, they're all telling us pretty much the same thing that they are being treated like shit. And, um, we've always been treated like shit, but it's, it's especially bad lately. And, and so, you know, my, my word of wisdom as I've already sort of put out there is, is get together with your coworkers on zoom or however you can do it safely and talk about what's going on because, uh, we've already been doing that, like we've already said, and, and we deserve better than what's been given to us um, this entire time, but especially during the pandemic. I also want to um, reiterate what we were talking about earlier about the health department and making sure that those complaints are going to them. Um, it's, it's extremely important right now that they see um, where we're coming from. When we go to them and we tell them about talking to all of all of uh workers in the area and all the problems that we're having and they turn around and say well we don't see the complaints um they're putting a lot on our shoulders as workers and it's something that shouldn't happen but it is something that is happening so make those complaints um you you deserve a safe work environment and um the more we bug them about what's actually going on the better chance we have of fixing it. Thanks, everybody. I think I just want to say that, like, despite what, like, the entire world sometimes tells us, like, you deserve to be well because you are a living human being on this planet. You deserve to not feel unsafe at work. You deserve to make enough money for the work that you are doing. And, um, I think that it's really radical and revolutionary to like really embrace that and believe it and um, fight for it and fight for the people that you work with and who you're close to. Um, so yeah, take care of yourself both physically and mentally. Uh, talking about mental health stuff should, you know, it gets easier if you do it. And it's, um, I think something that we need to do more of because, you know, we, even after we solve the, the material conditions that kind of created these problems, a lot of us are gonna be still processing this stuff for a long time. Even if everything was solved tomorrow, like we have to unlearn a lot of stuff and we've got, you know, a lot of, um, you know, it's not gonna make everybody suddenly be sober. You know, we've got a lot of work to do. And so I think just like talking about this stuff and feeling comfortable about it is really, really important. And thank you very much for listening. Okay, that's the show, folks. Like I said, if you got suggestions or notes, it's at IWWypsilini on Twitter. It's the place to do it. If you want more from CY3, be sure to look them up on Twitter and Instagram or join the Facebook group where it all started. Or you can email them at CY32020 at gmail.com. That's S-I-W-A-3-2020 at gmail.com. And as always, if you're interested in organizing, service worker or not, you can reach out to us on the Ypsilanti IWW branch Twitter our website, iwwipsy.org, or our email at ypsilanti.gmb at iww.org. New fancy email. And as always, until next time, an injury to one is an injury to all. You got it.